was by, but would we hear something about the nation of Israel in the news? A couple weeks ago, our president uh, determined to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and move our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. For a couple weeks after that, the news was full of reactions to that, and uh, some that liked it, some that really didn't like it very much. We hear in the news about states that would like to just eliminate Israel and uh, wipe them off the face of, of the earth, for that matter. We hear stories in the news about uh, peace talks between Israel, the Israelis and Palestinians to try to come up with some type of a, a peace in the Middle East. Well, I'd like to tell you this morning, your Bible is more up to date than tomorrow's newspaper. And in the Word of God, we find that it tells us that there is coming a great, great kingdom in which Israel is going to be the chief nation on the earth. Uh, you can take time and read through all those passages this afternoon. I want to read just a little bit in Isaiah 2. It says, starting in verse 2, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord." To the house of the God of Jacob, he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Will there be peace in the Middle East one of these days? You bet your life there will. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Who is this child? Who is this son? This is Jesus. This is prophesying the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ when he became incarnate. It says, And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There will be peace in the Middle East, and it's going to take Jesus to bring that peace and to establish it when he comes back again. Uh, Isaiah 65, verses 19 to 25 says, I'll rejoice in Jerusalem. And joy in my, t in my people, the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die a hundred at a hundred years old, but the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. 
And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. We could go on and read many other passages of Scripture that tell us that one of these days, there's going to be a glorious age upon this earth, and there's going to be a glorious age for Israel. God has a, a glorious plan in store for the future of the nation of Israel, and it will affect the entire earth and all the nations on the earth. But we have a problem. The, the promises concerning Israel's future in the kingdom also center on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to rule supreme over Israel and over all the nations. And the problem is that, that Israel, uh, when Jesus came as the prophesied Messiah and Savior, when he came to them by means of the virgin birth almost 2,000 years ago, Israel rejected him. And most of the people cried out for his crucifixion. God then turned from working in the world primarily through Israel and began working through the church, a called out group of people from all nations, languages, and people groups. And after the Romans expelled the Jews from their homeland in 70 AD, Israel did not even exist as a nation until 1948. And we find that the Jewish people lived in the other nations of the world for over 1,900 years. And that they continued to be a distinct people group and, and didn't just get, get assimilated into the other nations. It is nothing less than the, the miraculous providential working of our sovereign God. Uh, today, and for almost 2,000 years, Israel has been set aside by God as far as not being the center focus of God's program. God's been working through the church and not through the nation of Israel. And the claim of some is that, that Israel's setting aside is permanent and that God is completely finished with the descendants of Abraham. They say any promises that were made to Abraham and his descendants that haven't been fulfilled yet will somehow be fulfilled in a spiritual way in the church. Well, in Romans chapter 9, 10, and especially chapter 11, we find it clearly taught that God is not finished with Israel. He will fulfill all of his promises in a literal, historical, and physical fashion, uh, just as he fulfilled all the promises that were connected with Christ's first coming to this earth. And we find that God's setting aside of Israel is, is partial. It's a partial thing. Not all of Israel is set aside. Many Jews still come to know Christ as Savior and become part of the church today. God's setting aside of Israel is purposeful. He has a purpose in mind. He's got a plan connected with that, and it's passing. It's just a temporary thing. Last week we talked about the fact that it's partial. And an example to indicate that's the Apostle Paul. He was Jew. He was Jew. And God used him as the apostle of the Gentile. We saw the example of the faithful remnants that there were in Elijah's day and Paul's day and in, in our day. And we saw that the hardening was for those who, who reject God's light. There, there are Jewish people, if they'll put their trust in Jesus Christ, they can be saved. 
anyone who put his trust in Jesus Christ, no matter what his nationality is, no matter what his ethnic group is, if they'll put their faith in Christ, they can be delivered from their sin, they can be saved. This morning we want to move into, uh, start at verse 11, and we find that God's setting aside of Israel is, is purposeful. It says, starting verse 11, it says, I say then, have they stumbled, as Israel stumbled, that they should fall, fall completely? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. The rejection of the Jew has resulted in, in the salvation of Gentiles. The gospel came first to the Jews. Jesus came to the nation of Israel. He was born in Bethlehem, just a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. His ministry was within the, the confines of the nation of Israel. Uh, we find that, that most but not all Jews rejected Christ and his gospel. And we find that God then turns to the Gentiles. He calls the Apostle Paul to be the Apostle to the Gentiles. Peter, we read in Acts chapter 10, is sent to the household of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a Gentile. Uh, we find that by the time Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome, the, the, the church has become, instead of being overwhelmingly Jewish as it is in the early chapters of the book of Acts, it's become overwhelmingly Gentile, and most of the people in the church at Rome to whom this letter is addressed are, are Gentiles. We find a couple of, of uh, pictures are given here in the next few verses to uh, help us understand this a little bit, this connection between Jew and, and Gentile. And there's a picture of the, the first fruits and, and the lump of dough, starting in verse 16. It says, For the first fruits is holy and the lump is holy, uh, the whole lump is holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. What it's talking about here, it's a picture of the connection the Jews have, the, the Gentiles have with the Jews. We, we benefit from the blessings that were given to Israel. We benefit from the, uh, the promises that were made to Abraham. He's the, he's the first fruits. He's, he's the beginning. He's the root of, of the nation. And Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. And God promised that through Abraham... All the nations of the world would be blessed through his seed, his special seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. All the nations of the world would be able to be brought into a right relationship with God if they would put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the picture here is taken from horticulture as well as far as the, the grafting. It's common when people are, are trying to get better fruit and things like that. Sometimes they'll take a branch from a, a tree that, that, that's, uh, that's good. And, uh, and that produces good fruit. And they, they will graft it into a, a, tr a trunk of a tree that is not known for producing such good fruit. 
and the, 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 the good branch will still benefit from all the nutrients and everything that come out of the soil and are brought up to the good branch and, and good fruit will, will still be produced. And, the, the, and hopefully the tree will, will even improve and more could be put in. Usually you don't take bad branches and put them in a good tree. But you know what? That's exactly what's saying happened here. With the Gentiles being grafted into the tree of God's blessing that he had poured out upon Israel, we benefit from the blessings that God promised and gave to Abraham and to Israel. And, and in the process, we find that some of, the, some of the branches are broken off. Israel, Jewish people, broken off, set aside. Not all of them, but, but a good share of the nation. And, and the Gentiles benefit from that. Because God turned from working primarily through Israel to working through the church. We Gentiles benefit from that greatly. And we, we owe a great debt to the Jews. We thank God for the, uh, the scriptures that came through the Jewish people. The prophets, our Messiah, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, was born a, a Jew. But when we think about the blessings we receive, we shouldn't become proud. And we certainly shouldn't boast against Israel. One of the biggest black marks on the face of the church is the anti-Semitism that's been in the church for much of church history and the things that have taken place there. It's a sad thing. We shouldn't be boasting against the natural branches or against the tree as we find pictured here. So we find that God's setting aside of the Jews is a purposeful thing resulting in the salvation of the Gentiles, and we can thank God. We can thank God for that, and we ought to thank God for that because our church is, our faith is built on that Jewish foundation. We should not become proud. We should not become uh, arrogant. We should not boast against Israel. In fact, uh, we should avoid becoming proud and self-righteous. That's one of the things that brought Israel down. What was, was pride over really a privileged position. And instead of being just grateful to God and serving God in that position, they became proud. We've got to be careful that we don't become proud and, and self-righteous. We ought to always be a humble and a grateful people. That's what God wants to instill in us and bring from us. So God setting aside of Israel was purposeful. Secondly, we see his passing. It's only temporary. It's spelled out in verse 11 here. It's a temporary thing. Verse 15 says, For their being cast away is the reconciling of the world. Uh, what will their acceptance be? But life from the dead. They'll be accepted again. The, the casting away is a, a temporary thing. Israel has not stumbled so that the nation is left hopeless and, and a fallen nation forever estranged from God. That's not the case. And, and in fact, Israel is still God's chosen people. God's chosen nation, and God still watches over the nation of Israel in a very, very special way. In fact, that's the, uh, that's the only way that Israel existed, continued to exist as a distinct nation when they didn't even have a homeland for over 1,900 years. Uh, it's amazing that they continue to be a distinct people even in this day and age in which we live. It's amazing that after, after not having a homeland since 70 A.D., 
They eventually become a nation again in 1948. That's unheard of in human history. But God did that for his people. And it's amazing with the overwhelming odds against them that they still continue to exist as a, a nation with the persecutions that have come against Israel, the, the Inquisition, the Holocaust, other persecutions that have brought against them, attempts to annihilate Israel. There are those on our planet today that still their goal is to uh, annihilate Israel, get rid of the nation of Israel, get rid of the Jewish people. That's still going on in, in, among the leadership in, in Iran and other Muslim nations in the world today. What an amazing thing. In fact, when, when Israel was declared a nation in 1948, first thing that happened was they were attacked by all their neighbors. An, an amazing thing. They, they, they won. They won. A little later on, they're, they're attacked again. And the, you have the Six-Day War in which Israel conquers Egypt and, and Jordan and Syria. And once again, all the nations that came against them took over tremendous property. They've gotten back Jerusalem. The fact that they continue to exist as a nation indicates that God's not finished with them and, and that God still has a place, special place for them, even in unbelief when most of the Jewish people are not recognizing Jesus Christ as Savior. One of these days. Israel be grafted back in again. One of these days, Israel will be restored to that center place in God's program. God will finish his work for the church. He'll rapture the church out of this world. And God will begin to work through the nation of Israel again. And in the long run, it's going to be a glorious, glorious thing. It's going to be like a glorious resurrection. It's going to benefit all the nations of the world. At that time, we're told that all Israel will be saved. There's coming a time when all Israel will be saved. Now that doesn't mean that every Jew who ever lived will be saved. What it's talking about here in the Old Testament and also what it spells it out here in the New is that Jews living when Jesus Christ returns will see him. They'll believe in him. They'll, they'll take him to be their savior and they will be saved and then that glorious kingdom that we read prophecies of from a moment ago in the book of Isaiah, then that kingdom will be set up on this planet with Israel being the preeminent nation and Jesus Christ being the one who rules over all. That, that's coming, folks. That's coming. As sure as what you see in the news today about what's happening with Israel, this is God's news. This is better than the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, Fox News, any of those. This is God's news. God's got a program for Israel. God's got a plan for Israel. And that, that plan and program all focuses on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is all true because we read in verse 29, it says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. When God promises something, He doesn't change it. God doesn't alter it. God doesn't go back on his promises. When he gives gifts, they're gifts for us to have. When he gives us the gift of eternal life, it's ours to have forever and ever and ever. When he calls us, when he called Abraham, when he called the Jewish people, that's not something he's going to turn from. Back in Romans chapter 8, 
We read about the fact that whom God foreknew, he called, or predestined, and whom he predestined, those he called, those he calls, he justified, those he justified, he glorified. God keeps his word. That's what it's saying here in verse 29. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. If you know Christ as your Savior today because God's called you to himself, God's not going to take that away from you. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Well, how can that be? How can that be when, when, when people seem to so many times not appreciate God's gifts? And sometimes we even mess up after we've received God's gift. Well, the next few verses tell us about that. It says in verse 30, For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they might also obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. How can we ever hope that God would keep his promises to us? Well, he's a God of what? A God of mercy. And God being a God of mercy doesn't give us what we do deserve. But he's also a God of grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us the wonderful, glorious gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sin. And that's true for Israel. And it's also true for us. What an amazing thing God's mercy is that we can experience this from God. Men don't deserve it. Lastly, we find in the last three, last few verses of this chapter that God's setting aside and restoration of Israel and his salvation of the Gentiles is something that ought to cause us to praise God. Part of our, our service this morning, the, the, the musical part of it, was, was designed to be worship and praise given to God for who he is and what he's done. And what he's done involves what he's done for Israel, what he's done through Israel, and much more personally than that, what he's done for us. How do we respond to what God's done? I hope we respond the way that Paul does in the last part of this chapter where he says in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Or who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him? And it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory, how long? Forever. Amen. We should, God should be praised for his wisdom and his knowledge and his what a remarkable plan of salvation God has worked out, isn't it? And working it out, planning it from before the foundation of the world, before he ever created man, and it involves an amazing thing, like God himself becoming man through a, a miracle of the incarnation and the virgin birth, whereby our, our salvation involves the God-man, and him going to the cross of Calvary, and there shedding his blood, our sin being placed upon him. Well, well, how can our sin be taken from us and put on Jesus? Well, we, we sit here, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You and I don't know how to do that. 
You and I couldn't accomplish that. But God did that. He took my sin and your sin and somehow transferred it over to the Lord Jesus Christ as he's hanging there on the cross of Calvary. He's bearing our sin. He's taking our punishment. And what do we get transferred to us? We get imputed, if we put our trust in him, his righteousness. How can we, as sinful people, be made as righteous as Jesus Christ? We can't do that for ourselves, but God can do that. And God has done that. And how do we respond to that? The only way we can respond to that is say, thank you, God, praise God for what you've done for me. Your wisdom and your knowledge They're past me fully understanding. I can't get it all together, but God, I can thank you for in your holiness and your righteousness doing all that for me. We should praise God for his sovereignty. Nobody's been God's counselor telling him how to do things. Now, that's not true. We do try to tell God how to do things, don't we? But God's never needed our counsel, right? And God doesn't listen to our counsel. Thank God he doesn't listen to our counsel. Have you ever prayed for something and later on, you, oh, God, thank you for not giving me that. Thank you, God, you know more than I do. You know what I need better than I know what I need. Your timing's better than my timing. We thank God for his sovereignty. He's in control. He's all-powerful. Also, we read here that nobody's ever first given God anything. God should have to repay us. You know what God owes us? God owes us an eternity in hell. That's what we deserve. But the other thing God does owe us is to keep his promises. And and he does. In fact, God keeps his promises because of his character, who he is. God should be praised for his person. Because of him, through him, to him are all things. What's it saying there? It's all about him. It's all about him. He's the source of everything. He's the measure of everything. He's the goal of everything. He's the one who sustains everything and, and holds on to everything and holds on to us. And we find that God will be praised. He'll be praised how long? Forever. God should be praised now. I hope he is being praised in your life. I want him to be praised in my life. I want to recognize what God's done. I want to worship him. That that term worship means worthship. We recognize the worthiness of God to receive our thanksgiving and receive our praise and receive our, our service to him as well and our loving him. We find that God should be praised, will be praised. He will keep his promises to Abraham and to Israel. That's what Romans 9, 10, and 11 is all about. God's going to keep all of his promises to Abraham and to the nation of Israel. And in connection with that, here's the thing that really hits you and me. He will keep his promises of salvation and forgiveness of sin and eternal life to us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we have a God we can count on? A God who's described in this passage of Scripture for of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. You know, if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as Savior. 
I would encourage you, believe and be saved. Salvation is by grace through faith. If you're here, you do know Christ as Savior. My prayer is that as you study this passage of Scripture with me, that you'd walk out of this building this morning encouraged because you have a God you can count on, a God who keeps His word, a God whose promises are always valid. And my prayer is that we would worship Him. If you're here today, don't know Christ, you can talk to God right where you're at. Tell him you want Christ to be your Savior this morning. My prayer is that you would do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a sovereign God, that you're a loving God, you're a merciful God. You're a God who keeps his word. You've kept your word to Israel. You'll keep it in the future. And God, you'll keep your word to us. Father, thank you for that. I pray that anybody with us that doesn't know the Lord Jesus, that they would put their trust in him this day, repenting of their sin, taking Christ to be their Savior. And Father, I pray that every Christian would walk out of here today encouraged, encouraged in the Lord, and ready to share our wonderful Savior with other people as well. May you be glorified in our lives, in all that we say and all that we do, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please